Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Lights, the new project from What A Load Of Cobblers. Going out Friday nights, talking cobblers and other football goth. I'm Tom Reeds and tonight we're joined by a motley crew of cobblers fans. First up, it's former North Anx TV presenter, who some might say took a step up to be an international football commentator with Eurosport. I reckon to step down from Death Row Dogs personally, it's Andy <laughs> Podfish. I love it there. Hi. How you doing, mate? Do you like... On your on your CV, is it is it is it the World Cup first or Death Row Dogs? Oh, it's Death Row Dogs. Of course it is. Don't be insane. Um, it, it it has to be Death Row Dogs. Talk about uh, yeah, trip down memory lane. I mean, Ian's obviously the expert there, but uh, wow, yeah, that was that was amazing. Death Row Dogs. Wow. Yes. We'll get on to we'll get on to the uh, brilliant uh, concepts stolen by ruthless high waisted browser <laughs> TV presenters a bit later and, on. And but, they uh, and they were stolen. I know we'll get onto that, mate. I know you've got a lawsuit pending. Uh, we're not in the studio. Let's let's not lie. We're uh, on our phones and that. But next up, it's a long-time Cobblers fan who moonlights down at Champion Hill, Dulwich Hamlet. Not sure of an opinion on football. It's Martin Maloney. Hello, Martin. Hi, Tom. Good to, good to be here. Cheers for the invite. Looking forward to a bit of a natter on um, all things Cobblers and beyond. Yeah, I think you're and you're actually sitting there in your Dulwich Hamlet, uh, famous pink and navy blue shirt. I, I am. I am. I think somewhat inspired by a post on on Facebook. Someone posted in our um, shoe army group about name, you know, ten teams other than the Cobblers. You like, I, I'm one of those people who had to narrow. Despite being a Cobblers fan, home and away, I had to narrow it down a ten. And um, Dulwich, uh, Dulwich, the old Hamlet, they're right up there. They're, they're a quality side and with a great ethic. I was trying to get Cobblers to have a friendly with them, actually, because Kelvin Thomas, believe it or not, played for Dulwich Hamlet. But, he yeah, did, yes. Uh, yeah, it's one of the one of the things we never really got sorted out. But So we'll have a chat to you in a bit, Martin. And then we've got Ian Brandt, who uh, never gets bored of being asked where the 10 million loan has gone while working for the council. Hello, Ian. Hi, Tom. Yeah, I just want to say, it's, you know, very serious time in the world now, but I would like to have a moment's reflection and a minute's or a moment's silence for um, Peterborough United's season. <laughs> so, I think it's only right. I saw Barry fly on the local news the other day. Yeah, and it was very, very upsetting to see him looking so upset. So just, you know, my thoughts are with all Peterborough United fans at the moment. Well the chairman was saying not long ago, you know, he was hoping that they'd they were planning on getting promoted to the championship, putting Iron Tony in the shop window and then selling him for I think twenty five million. 
that's it was all planned out it was all you know they're all going to happen and now down the drain so I did so think that nice. river man was running a bit faster with all those tears coming our way yeah. <laughs> yeah. what did barry fry actually say on the news because i saw he was on there he was bleating on about something he's never he's never been so upset never he's never he's never been so heartbroken I think uh, we need to think about the person that. Do you remember he, he pissed in the corner of the ground? I think it was at Birmingham City, didn't he, to get rid of some voodoo or curse? I think the person that saw him doing that probably. That rings a bell. Oh, she rings a bell. But let's get away from uh, Barry Fry, you know. And then last but not least, it's Jake Moore. We've um, who's been living in Canada for a little bit. Twitter legend who saved the club from relegation by the <laughs> uh, Governor at Large campaign in 2014. Hello, mate. Hello, how you doing? Good to be here. Good, mate. Do you prefer Northamptonshire or Canada, mate? Let's, let's, let's hear it. Um, that's, a, that's a tough question, that is. I mean, Canada has less cobblers, which I suppose is a positive. <laughs> nah, you know, they both have their pros and cons, but I'm here for the time being. Yeah, yeah, fair play, mate. And when I was talking about the, the Gavin at Large thing, I, you know, I was sort of half tongue-in-cheek, but I do remember it happening and... We actually got Gavin, uh, Pat Gavin back to the club, didn't we, on that last game of the season? Yeah, that, was, that was all you, mate. I mean, that was, um, we kind of did it as a little bit of a, little bit of a Hail Mary. I think looking back now, I kind of think how stupid I must have looked from some of the things I was doing to try and get off the ground. But yeah, I mean, people sort of um, semi got behind it, I think. And, yeah, I like to think it helped out a little bit. But yeah, that was all you getting Pat Gavin there, mate. I can't take any credit for that. And that was, uh, that was a hell of a coup. That was great. Yeah, he, uh, he, I think he felt a little bit like, not a lot sort of under-celebrated, but I think he wanted to come back to the club and just have a little moment. You know, the ball went off his arse and he sort of saved the club, kept him up and then he was out. Uh, Martin will probably remember. He was out, I think he joined Wigan or someone quite uh, quite quickly, didn't he, Martin? Yeah, I think, I think there was a lot of players a lot of players released at the end of that, that season. I think him, uh, Terry Angus, who was quite popular as well. It was, yeah, it was kind of a revolving door, probably squads as you were squ- scrapping to stay in the league it's unlike you can have many players who are more do you respect pat gavin who is a legend you know they're easy enough to to swap about but um yeah he he definitely deserved you think some of the other great moments we've had and god i remember i remember being in that end at, at shrewsbury and you know that ball going off his ass is just one of my best moments as a cobbler he came back for that that game in 2014. I think it was under Gary Johnson, if, if I remember. But no, it was Chris, Chris Wilder. That was um, Wilder, was it? Oh, yeah, Chris yeah, Wilder's yeah. manager. So we we scraped up as we do, you know, by the skin of our teeth, and and, and Pat uh, came back. Actually, I remember Pat having coming back to the county ground with I think it was Wigan, and he got a, a really good reception. So yeah. that that probably links in a little bit actually to it might be one of our favourite players, it might not, but just to get the listeners a little bit acclimatised to you know what sort of cobblers fan you are and your sort of era perhaps let's talk a little bit about your first cobblers game Andy do you remember your first cobblers game or the year it was yeah first home game of 86 87 so it was Torquay I think a week second game of the season so first game at the county ground and two all draw at Scunthorpe first week and then yeah Torquay 1-0 Ian Benjamin winner not a bad start as well and the problem with people that went in that season, that uh, amazing 86-87 season, is that well, you get this false sense of security that it's always going to be like that. We've, it, yeah, spoken about it before. I mean, I was so I was what ten then, um, the start of that season. So obviously that for, that formative year, literally building it up, going every week, 
building your sort of, you know, affection and whatnot. And you're kind of thinking, cool, this is all right. You know, being a football fan. Wow. If it's like this every week, I'm I'm in, you know. And then obviously, I mean, the second season as well, 80, so what, 87, 88, that wasn't bad. That wasn't a bad, bad year either. So it was a few years really until I sort of experienced proper disappointment and, you know, genuine genuine troubles at the club you know bad form and whatnot and, and not being successful really it's not a bad start at all to your club's career it's all gone downhill from there and uh, i think we're all showing a few gray hairs to show for it um ian was your was your first game similar similar time same season it was it was uh, december 86 south end in the cup the it was the replay to to because they knew we had um we knew we had newcastle which you were talking about the other day on twitter weren't you yeah. Tom, I think I remember because it was three-two. Richard Cadet scored for Southend. Yes. David Gilbert, I think, got some penalties. Trevor Morley yeah. did his usual uh, dying swan dive to, to win at least one of them. Um, yeah, Ian Benjamin got the other one. Yeah, it yeah. was an amazing occasion. I think my sisters were both older than me. Uh, they'd been begging for my dad to take them to the cobblers, and he said, "No, no, you know, you can't take you at the hotel, and it's no place for no place for." you know girls your age or no place for any children your age but then when he saw what a season we were having he's like yeah you're coming along Ian come on I was seven so you know I was uh he didn't want me missing out on that and then yeah I was the same I was the same as Mr Bodfish there amazing season you do think oh wow it's gonna be it's gonna be like this every every year I'm gonna support these I'm gonna get behind these and then um yeah I think I think reality sort of dawned when they started selling those players. I think Hill and Morley yeah, both went. Exactly. That's the yeah, right. <laughs> and that's 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 when I realised the truth about the cobblers, you know. So oh, I think I remember my dad saying then, any decent player they have though, yeah, they, they will sell them. I mean Graham Graham Carr pretty much acted as a an official agent from that for yeah, those he players. Did, didn't he? But the but thing, the, for, the form was so decent the following season that it sort of just carried on for a bit, didn't it? I think they just missed out on the playoffs in eighty eight. They did. They did just miss out on the playoffs, and it was the same nucleus of the squad, wasn't it? And in fact, the players that Carr bought in, um, you know, he bought well, in Tony, Adcock, Tony, Adcock, Tony Adcock came in that season, didn't he? Yeah, and, and Martin Singleton as well. I remember, my, I remember my dad saying, inspirational, yeah, amazing player. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we weren't bad. And then yeah, was it the following year we went down, or the year after that? Uh, it was eighty. It was eighty nine, wasn't it? And then it all just yeah started coming. Yeah, apart. I, th- I think yeah. I think there's spells in the in the league above the bottom league, as it were. I think I look. I was convinced they'd always stayed up for two years, but I think pretty much in the time I've been watching, we've had three seasons up there in the late 80s, two seasons up there, and then I think it was it's just been like one season. So it's um, yeah, yeah, that was probably the probably the best spell. I think it's nice hearing some of these memories. We've always had a problem with infrastructure at the club and investment and just keeping a, a level, you know, maybe above division four, really. And that sort of tends, any success tends to sort of tail off after a while. If we speak to bring Martin in, Martin's first game, I think was a bit earlier in, in, in a time when cobblers weren't popular at all. They'd never been popular, but yeah. really weren't that popular in the early <laughs> 80s, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, I, I would have had very little consciousness other than seeing the name on, on final score. So I, so it's it's one of those. I'm a bit of bit of a nerd. I so I went back and looked up the fixture, and so I, that's how I worked out. It was eight, it was um, October '83, but it's the first time that you've seen kind of that amount of people, the noise, the smells, the colour, the swearing. It was a nil-nil draw with Stockport, and I was like, this is the best day of my life. 
it was just it. bloody amazing. And then I remember going, I think, 85, 86. Me mate would go and his dad would drive. And we went to about four or five games that season. That was quite a good season. If there had been playoffs that year, I think we'd have finished just out. So I might have finished eighth. I mean, 86, 87, and I think, we're, I guess, we're all of a similar generation. That While that wasn't my, my first game, and in fact, the Torquay game, I remember walking to my mate's house and thinking, should we go to the football? Because I think the first game was a Sunday, um, that Torquay game. And it's like, no, we'll stay in and play Sabutio. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it wasn't such, wasn't such a, good, a good move. But after that, the following Saturday, I think it was, we found out in the family enclosure where it was, a, you know, you, you just basically signed up for it as a kid, about 12 by now. And it, then it's a quid a game. And even, you know, as a poor kid from from the East District, single parent family, well, you can afford you can afford that. You can walk in and pay for that. And then seeing, you know, that that 86, 87 Cobblers team, it hooked me. But then I had a bunch of mates I went with who, who don't, didn't really go after a year or two more. But for me... I was never going to be anywhere, well, other than moving around to the hotel and got a bit bigger, I was never going to be anywhere else. Sort of quite visceral feelings that you got from seeing a live match. I think it's a bit like a gateway drug, the cobblers, actually, or like the, the dead-end drug, you know. It's a heroin. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, it's, 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 but it's, but these memories are nice because I think without any exception, we all managed to get to... Our, our introduction to that brilliant world of football was on a terrace, wasn't it? I mean, it's a completely different viewing experience now, isn't it, going to the football? It was just mentioned, the sights, the smells, the sounds of a terrace. Completely mm. different area of life that just sort of sucks you in, doesn't it? And yes, you know, modern all-seater stadia are wonderful. But, you know, there's something about the terrace. There was always something about the terrace. And, you know, the whole thing slowly filling up, you know, in the hour before kickoff and stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, we're all of a generation again where we remember Hillsborough and Heysel and things that went wrong in old decrepit stadia. And sometimes I think back to those surges on the hotel end. Yeah. I know very early I learned the best place to be was right in front of a crush barrier. But, you know, it was it had I think things had to move on. And certainly, you know, I'm an advocate of safe standing. I love what Celtic have done. I love what I see in, in German football. And it'll be great to see some stuff come come back. But equally, when my my nephew is now on, he's moved up to Lincoln with his, with his sister, and he's uh, he's on the books at, at Lincoln in the their kind of academy. But when I took him to his first game for his birthday, and I think 2006, 2000, it was probably a good few years ago, probably um, the season might in 2014, I think. But the excitement he felt and then his younger sister and uh, younger brother as I can I recognized that yeah yeah me, me back then in them I think it is one that some of us older blokes have got to we've almost got to adjust to it think if we want that that atmosphere back and what have you it's not going to be it's not going to be the same again I mean I love it when we draw a non-league club away or where the cop you know our, when our FA Cup games are on Sundays it's been brilliant so I've been to see Wellingborough Town a couple of times been to see the Hamlet and it's like yeah when you just stand about football drinking smoking whatever whatever you want it's, there is something liberating about it that sort of ties into my sort of memories of my first couple of games those fairly evocative memories but let's face it the county ground was a dingy place as well and it was it was you know it was ramshackle, but it had a lot of character. But I was trying to wrap my brain to remember my game. But I, I think that they, the way they got me was they came to our school 
I remember doing a thing on the pitch. I had to go through some cones on the pitch with the, the school, and I sort of I supported sort of Tottenham before that. And you know, as, as a lot of Northampton, you made them sound like some sort of secret hit squad. Switch, yeah, it is. They got me. That was it. My dad always says support AC Milan, and I, I was like, I'm not supporting AC Milan. You know, I'm not supporting the great Vicard and Hullet. I'm going to support bloody Dean Trot and Ian Gilzine. You know, I, I knew better. But, um, <laughs> That's that's quite hipsterish of your dad, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, because in the nineties, uh, Milan had the great side, didn't they? But um, so yeah, I started <clears> sort of going to games, and let's remember that the county ground was, especially obviously as well, like Martin, quite accessible. You could get there on the bus in town, or if you lived in town, you could walk down the Rally Road like um, Andy used to do for a few jars. So I started going to games, and a lot of the time there was something weird going on at the club or some sort of you know some sort of fan outrage or a weird uh, game so I, I vividly remember the McRitchie out protest with the red cards so that would have been about 92 93 so 91 when McRitchie yeah yeah around that time um so that was around around when the trust started and then I remember the famous game which I've written about a couple of times I've got an article coming out in the blizzard if you if you ever read that magazine about the uh, Hereford game where they had Four players sent off, oh, and um, yes, the yeah, could still on draw. YouTube as well. You because I've had to show this to people. I've described that gra- that game to people on a Sunday afternoon. The highlights, including all the red cards, are on YouTube. It's an amazing. I've seen the oh, the highlights, and for some reason, poor Kevin Wilkin got absolutely nailed by what I only can call like <laughs> bald, short, Hereford assassins. They were just on one that day weren't they Martin Nuts. yeah I think it might it might well have been I think one of them at least played uh Greg Downs had played the cup final for Coventry a few years ago before they went what, on that, that what, losing what, what year are we talking what, what sort of year are we talking there 93. Not- 93 got any cricket fans here because when I was doing my research for the match apparently Northampton had played at Lords the day before in some sort of uh cricket cup final and so the game was played on a Sunday I don't know if you can yeah that be, well North Northampton had a a really good side in the uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s, and yeah, especially one day stuff. They were, they were, they were pretty, pretty damn good. So that game was just absolutely nuts, and I do recommend watching the, uh, the YouTube for some of their classic fouls. There's some like all the different fouls. There was like, there was like rakes down the heel. There was like kung fu kicks and stuff. It's like as a kid, you're like, whoa, this is brilliant. Like every week, but obviously not. But, um, <laughs> And then there was this like game, and I still like can see it now. And it was all it was, everything came together beautifully. It was Cobblers five, Mansfield one, and Steve Terry chipped the keeper. And it was oh like, yes, and the hotel oh, was, end. Was, it was beautiful. Was October the twelfth, nineteen ninety three. That's the one I think. We're yeah. in the right Mansfield, Mansfield Town five one, Gilzine, Hammond, Terry, Steve Brown with a couple. Uh, so Steve Terry chipped the keeper, <laughs> and I'm it. standing on the hotel end as a child. And it's one of those moments where the ball just, you see it in midair and you've got the lights and it's like, this is brilliant. And we win 5-1. Yes. And the next game, we lost 7-0 to Scumthorpe, I think it was. Oh, That is just pure cobblers for you. That was like, 7-0. That was, I remember the Scunthorpe 7-0 really vividly. Yeah, me too, <clears throat> me too. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I'd been on, uh, it's probably quite topical at the moment. I've okay. been on anti-fascist um march in london that had turned quite violent we got attacked by the police and it all gone pretty scary a lot of lot of bricks thrown and you get back on the bus and you're thinking my day couldn't get worse than this and then the old sports report starts 
And you think, oh, it's all cheery up. And I had the cobblers get on. <laughs> I mean, they might as well have done it like the Vidi printer. When they'd have said seven, they could have said brackets, S, yeah. E, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was just like oh that that yes. was horrific but that was wow. that was hor- that was a really really poor cobbler side but i think that's so um so typically a cobbler's to, to build you up and you think everything's coming together and then just to drag you straight back down seven nil it's just uh <laughs> sublime to the ridiculous sometime let's not t- we're probably the old old folks there i think jake your first game was probably later when it mate yeah, it was uh, last year. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. You've missed the Cobblers game, have you, Jake? I've, a bit, I, 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 I've just played with him on FIFA and I, uh, I'm fascinated with him. But, um, <laughs> no, no, I, um, the first game I ever went to was, it's a bit of a strange one, really, because I went to watch him play Darlington and it was in that like Christmas New Year period in not, between 99 and 2000. And it was, Atkins had gone, I think, in September. Kevin Wilson was in charge with Kevin Broadhurst, but Broadhurst was not sort of the manager. He, he was as good as manager, but he was seen as more of an assistant. And um, I remember, I, I can't remember much about the game. I think we got beat 3-0 and Gabby Deeney was playing for Darlington and it made us look quite a bit silly. Yeah. I just, I didn't really enjoy it. That was the thing. I kind of come away from it just being like, well, if I never go up six fields again, I mean, I was only nine, but my dad had been a Cobblers fan all his life and he kind of said, like, this was the time to start taking me up. And I was a bit sort of, you know, if I ever go up again, you know, I won't be too fussed. And then we started going to a few more and it was a year we, we bounced straight back up. And I remember around, because Carlo Corazin, he was kind of our talisman at that point in time. And he had gone to play in the Gold Cup for Canada. So they kind of went through this conveyor belt of loan strikers. I remember they had Dean Crow. On loan. I remember everything, by the way, just before anyone uh, thinks I've, I've gone, I'm like, I've gone wrong. But like, I remember, um, <laughs> I remember Dean Crow come on loan from Stoke, and he didn't really do a, a lot, but he ended up having an half decent career, I think, at Luton. But then Forrester came in. Jamie Forrester um, came on loan from Utrecht, and we ended up sneaking up in third place. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was talking to my dad about this the other day because we paid hundred and fifty thousand pounds for Jamie Forrester, and. If a cop was paid £150,000 now for a player, you'd think something was up, you know, and, and you would have done it at any point over the course of the last 15 years. We sort of wondered, you know, why was that? Because if they brought in Hargreaves as well and Gabbidini, and these are all players who'd have been on so much money. And we kind of figured that it was probably that ITV digital deal had probably already been done at that point, And that was probably what they were getting that money from to fund those sort of transfers. Because just as you guys were saying about the 1980s, not long after, I mean, we had a half decent team when in that 2000-2001 season, when the, in back in Division 2, when we had Forrester and we had Steve Howard and we had Gabby Deeney. But we ended up falling away. And then we spent the next two years absolutely skint, nearly going out of business again. Probably couldn't blame it on the owners at that point, because that was more to do with a wider you know, footballing issue in this country with ITV Digital going bust. But yeah, then they were back in the in the in the basement again, and then handed over to Cadoza. But yeah, it was a it was a weird start. But um, you know, I kind of as you say, you know, you, you do fall in love a bit. I mean, I kind of I go through stages with the cobblers, and uh, I'd say I'm not ashamed to say at the minute I'm in a bit of a stage of them now where I'm not so fussed. But you know, when I still love them and I still like to check on their scores and see how we're doing, and I'll definitely watch them next week in the playoffs. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the? Um, did you listen to the 
interview with Carlo Corazon because it just made me laugh to an extent that he, like you said, he went off to the Gold Cup with Canada, right? He goes yeah. off to the Gold Cup, Cup with Canada. They end up winning the Gold Cup in yeah. sunny Los Angeles and they beat Colombia with a team of, uh, including Faustino Espria. Then he comes back to Cobblers and struggles to get in the team. And he was golden boot <laughs> as well. Yeah. Well, an interesting thing about... Like how? I don't know if... I, I've not managed to listen to it, Tom, but I, I don't know if he, he, he mentioned it. I read an interview a little while ago. But when he joined the Cobblers, it was a choice between joining Ian Atkins at the Cobblers or going and joining Graham Taylor at Watford. And the Cobblers ended up being relegated and Watford ended up playing in the Premier League. And he sort of said, you know, I don't regret my time at the Cobblers by any stretch, but... It could have been so much different for me, you know. I could have been playing the yeah. friend and instead, you know, I'm at six fields. But that's yeah. what he said. He talked. He talked us through what happened. He, I won't go on like what happened with the like fine detail, but he was speaking to Watford, and then you know, Ian Atkins was a wily guy. Probably got wind of it that he was down there, and he sort of hijacked the deal, Ian Atkins, and got him down. It showed you how much a different time it was because Ian Atkins had brought quite a lot of money into the club via Wembley and stuff like that. They did have a fairly decent budget and he he offered Carlo more money in you know a basic salary than Watford and you know Carlo chose Northampton and you know the rest of they say is history but I just laughed that that he was uh, golden boot at the, the gold cup I would always ask Canadians I, I, but I'd sort of I've watched um, Toronto FC a few times and those guys are an interesting bunch. They're good guys, but they're sort of like, they're very desperate to let you know how much they know about football. But you'd ask them, you know, oh, what about Carlo Corazin? Because I just always expected he was a national hero in Canada and they had like statues of him and stuff, but they have no idea who he is. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, oh. well, that's all, that's all I have to really talk about. So if you don't know who Carlo Corazin is, then I'm, I'm screwed. But let's move on to, um, we'll talk about quickly our, favourite Cobblers players we'll go around the group again we'll start with you Andy who's your favourite favourite players um, again it's probably going to be um, player quite, it's going to be it's going to be vintage yeah I guess um, Hill Morley or I've got a real soft spot for Jason White and I'll, I'll maybe tell you why later <laughs> uh, okay that sounds intri- intriguing what about you Martin What's your, who's your favourite favourite Cobblers player of all time we'll just pick oh. one so many. I won't waste too too much time. Martin Smith, best footballer I've ever I've ever seen at the Cobblers, and Gabby Adini did magic. But the guy who made the most out of player. what he had and inspired me, and still does, Adebayo Ekinfenwa. Yes, good shout. But he's still going at the age of thirty eight, isn't footballer. he? Which is just amazing to go at the age of thirty eight. And you yeah. know, people people did used to say he was too too big to play football, and. Do you remember um, Boothroyd having a little nibble at him about um, KFC and stuff like that? And he's had the yeah. last laugh now, Bayo, hasn't he, really? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, Boothroyd fell out with him. He he still stayed. He's still playing. And somehow, and there is a lot of weird stuff in the England setup with the likes of Ash. People move on, but Bayo, I think, had the last laugh there. That's a great choice. What about you, Ian? I just want to say about Bayo. Bayo, I hope we can go up, if you're listening to this. Um Let's be honest, Bayo, you're 38. You're not going to play in the championship. You want to play in league one where you're comfortable. It's time to come home. Cobblers are going up in the playoffs. <laughs> in the <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's time, it's isn't it? I won't, just, I won't just have the shirt, the bloody shirt number on, which I've never done before. I'll have that tattooed on my back, 10 and Akin Ben, or if that. Going to come on. Ian, your favourite um, player is Bayo yeah. or someone else? 
I, I'm, it's hard, isn't it? I think, you know, you'd love the team, not the players, because we've just been discussing they can leave in the summer <laughs> before you know it. They broke your heart. Maybe for that reason, Samo, you know, look at yeah. his great mm. guy. What servant. Here over all those different spells, all those different managers. He was there in the in the county ground days. He was there in the six field days. You know what I mean? Is 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 that kind of yeah. is that kind of route through the? It's always been there at the club in some form, and he's there again now, isn't he? He's a he's a youth coach again now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's yes, a youth he coach, and what obviously he had that night at Liverpool as well, which exactly he was never going to be the. He was never really going to be, you know, a Chris Wilder type, but. You can't take that night away from Liverpool, and a lot of managers will never have that. So, no. if, you, if you think about the ups and downs of the cobblers with Samo there wearing that, was it number five shirt you wore? Yeah. Number four, I think. Was it number four? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Tom, with your writing skills, there's a book in there, mate. The interesting thing as well with him is he, because he was such a novice at management, he brought in Malcolm Crosby, who actually was the yep. sort of senior partner in it and he was a Carmel influence. I spoke to Andy Holt and he said that they were a great little combination. Samo was really sort of inspiring and uh, Malcolm Crosby just calmed everyone down in Liverpool, started giving out like uh, sweets in the dressing room saying, you've got this, guys. <laughs> so it proved. I, I mean, I'd, I'd keep myself if I didn't uh, if I didn't take the opportunity to say it, but Ian Sampson was totally shafted uh, that year um, in terms of the squad he, was, uh, he, he had to put together. When you think about how we started that season, I think we had two fit strikers. Neither of them really had ever had a, a full season in the in the in the football league. And I think for central defenders, they had they basically retrained Andy Holt, who was who played his entire career as a winger, and then they tried to retrain Seb Harris, who was a striker who played uh, American college football uh, into a centre half as well, just as a, he was oh. a striker. So it was just you know, and Alistair Slow. Kind of, um... I, I remember I was working in Middlesbrough at the time, so we we had that season we had Hartley pulled away in the um, Mickey Mouse Cup, whatever it, where it's called at the time, and um, so said one of your mates there, you just fancy coming up to we'll go down Monkey Hangers and um, watch the Cobblers, so. Boring mates came, had a couple of beers, watched the game, and Seb Hatton, it's like this striker who's on the bench. I think he'd come off the bench and scored a few weeks previous against Cheltenham for his only goal. Yeah. Anyway, he plays centre. I'm like, hey, this, this lad looks all right. This could be a masterstroke playing him at centre half. 5 0 defeat. <laughs> you wouldn't have expected that team to have somehow won away at Ipswich, won away at, you know, won away at Liverpool. It's like, it's even weirder because we weren't particularly good. I think Cadoza panicked um, when it got to January and he allowed to, he actually backed Sampson at that point. And that's when Samo brought in Sean Harrod. He brought in Josh Walker on loan from Middlesbrough, which obviously they had that connection before. They brought in uh, Francis Loren. And I feel like they brought, in some, they brought in somebody else as well. But literally, I think they, they played a couple of games. I can't remember what the straw was. I think Johnson had been sat by Borough and Cadoza was really kind of, I think looking for a way to get rid of Sampson and he got rid of him after it was a, it was a, it was a so-so defeat. You know, it weren't no different to any of the others, but he got rid of him and he bought in Johnson. And from what I understand, Johnson more or less destroyed any harmony uh, within the squad. And I mean, they were lucky to stay up. I think they stayed up in spite of Gary Johnson. He just, he kind of threw so much at it in terms of players. I mean, I think at one point I remember looking at the squad list over that couple of years when he was in charge, we had about 35 people on the books. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I yeah. 
uh jake mm. i remember i remember that period quite well and i think actually he got uh summer got sacked and I, I do think it was harshly after a run of draws i think it was i think it was about seven draws in a row and it was you know a cup you know with a bit more luck they could have turned in, into wins and i just felt that that uh, liverpool win gained him a bit of um breathing space so jake who's your favorite cobbler of all time <laughs> um you see, I, it is as Bayo, but I feel like people would have a pop if I said Bayo. But um, I mean, there's been so like I mean, I loved Roy Hunter. I loved, I really loved Chris Argreaves. I thought he was a great player. Loved John Joe. Loved Ricky Holmes. Loved Chris Doig. Loved Lee Harper. But yeah, Bayo is the he's the one I always uh, I always I just come home, Bayo. Just to echo what Ian said, come home, mate. It's time. I think he's he's bored. He's bored of um, playing in. He's bored, of living, he's bored of living the high life. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. In, in American sport, you have the thing where somebody, when they retire or go to the Hall of Fame, they, they wear their favourite club's hat or shirt. Like, Bayo just come back for one day and retire a cobbler. That'd be good. We'll take that. My, um, my favourite cobbler is easy. I can just get out of the way in two seconds. F on E, lad. No, no <laughs> question. Bottle of fizzy pop. <laughs> Elad's very first game, I can't remember who it was, but he looked outstanding. And then it was just like, oh, my God. No, Martin, it's just, your, your mind has walked over time, mate. He was a Cameroon international. <laughs> yes. Watch that goal. Listen, watch that goal, that last game at the county ground v Chester. The ball drops down, drop of a penny on his foot, sprints forward, lays it off to Wilkin, goal within five seconds, mate. He was a world-class player, mate. <laughs> He certainly, he, he, certainly, he certainly had some skills, but yeah, he became a bit of a legend. Because I mean, we've had he was probably a legend back then because players like that seemed less common back then. Oh, yeah, definitely, of, yeah. Whereas the amount of people you get now on, on a loan where this guy just went up to it or a yeah. desperate manager's got someone in who was good a couple of years ago. But Elad seems to have just been at that time where he cemented himself in the clubs. He's in the same, well, as a different player, but the same sort of legendariness of Terry Fenwick as a manager, as Alistair Slow as a player. No, and no I doubt have there are so many others. And you know the best story about him, with which he, which even cements his legendary status even more. I was speaking right. to a cobbler's guy on Twitter, used to play in the same team, and he said that. Ephon Elad turned up to Ritz's wearing a bomber jacket and shorts. Now, come on, that is class. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is tremendous. And the thing is, right, I said to the uh, player, I won't name him, but I was like, what? he was like, I was like, what else happened in Ritz's? And he said, what happened in Ritz's stayed in Ritz's. Yeah. <laughs> I dread to think, to be honest with you, around Ephon Elad working his magic on the dance floor. But yeah, for me, uh, and I think Martin is exactly right. There was so much rubbish going on that he was just a breath of fresh air and just quite, uh, you know, just intriguing as a player. So um, I'm, I'm definitely putting him in my uh, Hall of Fame. So let's 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 get on to a little bit of football. We talked a lot, of, you know, like modern, up to date football <laughs> instead of Carlo Corridin playing against Aspria. Cobblers in the playoffs and. You know, we weren't 100% sure if it was ever going to happen or it was ever going to get ratified, but it did. And what do you guys make of it? What do you make of Andy, like, Cobblers being in the playoffs? It's positive, isn't it, overall? Of course it is. I mean, how? You know, yeah, Cobblers are in the playoffs. And obviously, we weren't sure how it was going to go, you know, before this global 
crisis hit. Um, obviously, but you, I mean, you end up sort of, you, you can't really take it in isolation. We can talk about, isn't it wonderful about being in the playoffs and so on? Of course it is. Um, but it's not like we can talk about any recognisable form or the way you've seen sort of Cheltenham play in recent weeks or anything. And I suppose, you know, I mean, I'm having a couple of chats today more about, you know, sort of what it means football in the grander scheme of things, you know, sort of matches being played behind closed doors. Now it's your team sort of thinking about it m- m- more in, in that sense, really. Obviously, you know, we're in the playoffs. Bring it on. Obviously, with the COVID-19 crisis, the health crisis facing the country, there's always going to be a question mark. Should you be playing football? And when's the right time? But I think they've got they've got to try for a couple of reasons. One is the, the, the pull of the TV deal oh, and completely. distributing TV yeah. money. And the other thing is the club's turnover. And I was reading... To, to yesterday or today that EFL clubs are facing a £200 million black hole and if there's no football for a while it could be really bad This whole thing about football being about the fans which it is and now <laughs> you can't have fans at the football so so, so we, you know, we're all going to have to get used to this different environment and the different way we, ways we consume the game in my opinion and it's just going to take it's going to take a few it's going to take the season to start without fans and whatnot, virtual fans and so on, um, for us to work out our feelings on it. Or it is for me, anyway. What do you make of it, Ian, to restart? You know, it's tough times. It's, it's strange, isn't it? I noticed the snooker started up. It gives people something new to watch. It's, it's a silver lining, isn't it? It's better than nothing. I read somewhere the other day they're talking maybe in September they might allow fans back in, social distancing. So you could have, you know, two thousand fans in a, in a, in a stadium spaced out. I mean, that that can be done. MK Dons have been doing that. For years. <laughs> <laughs> That's the paid MK Dons bashing. Uh, <laughs> That's your podcast there. Cut all the other nonsense out. We'll just have that. So, so we've got of of broadcast worthy quality uh, stuff. We've got. Death Row Dogs and MK Don's bashing. That's it. So at least we got something to go. <laughs> what do you make of it, Jake? You know, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, isn't it? And, and grim playing. Yeah, football. yeah. I've been enjoying it. I mean, like, um, I've been watching a bit of a Bundesliga, and it's, uh, I don't know, maybe they should do it without fans forever. I think it would. Uh, <laughs> <might be> like, <laughs> but uh, now, uh, to be honest with you, I am excited about it. I mean, like I touched on earlier, I will watch it and. I, like people have been asking me like how do you think they're going to do and I said well with the cobblets is either going to go one or two ways are they going to get absolutely thumped over two legs or they're going to win it like there's not going to be any kind of sneaking through on penalties or anything like that it's going to be one of the two extremes so you know yeah it, and, and that would that would represent a great season you know and it would be Keith Cole's first promotion you know when football does come back to normal Hey, we could find ourselves in League One, and that would be a real boost for that club. I quite like Keith Carr. I like a lot of his attributes he's brought to the club. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm quite open about it. I'm not a big fan of the football. I find it really direct, and it's just you know, they cut a lot of corners out. And I just, I prefer a team personally to control the ball a little bit more, a bit more, a bit more passing and stuff. But he has brought a steal to the side and a bit more self-respect. So, you know, you can't you can't really begrudge him what he does. And He grinds out uh, results. You know, I, I think the yeah. thing about Curl is he, he he's not a remarkable football manager, but he, you know, he's someone who can, he can get results. And I think that is, that's what we needed. I mean, 
in hindsight, this would probably sound ridiculous, but he probably wouldn't have been such a bad choice to replace Wilder because he could have just he could have maybe instilled a little bit of stability. I mean, but then would the would the fans have allowed that? They weren't so forgiving of when Rob Page. If we'd have missed out on the playoffs and we'd have just had a season that said, "Oh, we're a bit better this year under Curl," I'll be like, no, "This is what we need. What we don't need is to be chopping and changing." Every year, because well, we should be promoted because half the teams in the league are going for promotion. There's definitely more than a puncher's chance that we'll um, we'll do something in the playoffs. But it's going to be weird watching them on TV and with no fans. So I, I don't mind admitting that. For me, the the major mistake was a lack of continuity after Chris Wilder because it was fairly obvious. I would say probably halfway through that championship season that he wasn't going to stay long, and that some of the players weren't going to stay long. And that's when you put into uh, effect a plan to replace someone. It's what they do a lot in German football. They'll they they hire hire to a style, or they um, they try and keep a bit, a bit of continuity going. And I just think I think they tried with Robert Page, but the the turnover of the players was far too much. And Robert Page got rid of some 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 key players that remained, and that that continuity continuity wasn't there, and it and it affected the club for quite a few years. And um, Keith mm. Carroll's come in for me a complete contrast to the way Wilder played and for me I find that quite jarring but I guess when we're talking about continuity that uh, a lot of where cobblers are going to go in the next few years obviously Covid might completely put the kibosh on stuff and decimate the squad but keeping hold of our key players that Keith Cole did well to bring in people like Charlie Good was a was a really good really sorry excuse a pun good signing Alan McCormack's getting on a bit but I, I find he's got a touch of class in the midfield there these sort of key players, if we can keep hold of them, there might there might be a potential to to have a strong season next season. Do you reckon? Oh, I I, I think so. I think you've got the nucleus there of of real stuff. and we're always better with an aggressive, baldy or ginger in the middle of midfield. I find. Mm, yeah, someone you need someone to to get their foot on the ball, and McCormack's got that. Be, that be a bit of a boss. He, he slows the game down. Yeah, yeah he, he slows the game down, and. Um, I guess we'll see how, how the playoffs go. So we're going to have a, a get-together again next week, so we'll preview it properly. We'll have a couple of people sort of helping out with that. But I just think we will go hell for leather because if you let Cheltenham play a little bit, they're a good little side. They've got some good players. That Broom, I think it is, is a, is a very good player. And they, they, they could probably outplay us. So I think it will need to be a, a one-bound, thank you, ma'am, sort of approach. And, and it might work. It's on Sky Sports, is that right? It's going to be yes. on Sky Sports, so you can watch yeah, it on TV. The Colchester Crew game, I think, is about quarter past five. We're on at seven forty-five, and I think I think it's a Thursday. And is it then the Monday? I think the crowd's going to be buoyed by the cardboard cutout of Shaquille O'Neal. I did have a laugh at that today. That was quite funny. Did you see that? On the rules for cardboard cutouts, you the club were vetting them. So when like that rugby league club in Australia did it first, and you had like Dominic Cummings and Harold Shipman there, we couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the oh, Shipman. Yeah. I was going to try to put Kim Jong Un behind the goal, but. Uh... <laughs> He's one of the biggest Cobblers fans, yeah. So someone was saying they're going to try and sneak in um, 50p Lil. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope I haven't ruined that for someone. I might have to cut that out. But, uh, yeah, and I bet you they're on a scan for a, a bald, egg-headed uh, ex-German, an image of him. I bet, uh, I bet the, the uh, Gareth Wilshire's scanning. Ian was suggesting to me the other day of uh, getting Kadoza in there somewhere with a fake moustache on. And, uh... <laughs> watch this space. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna watch the game. I'm gonna keep an eye out for the uh, <laughs> yeah. in the crowd and see if we can get someone like. 
got to get a dictator in there. What about like Stalin or something? <laughs> you got to get like a sort of crap dictator in there. Someone who, you know, really, I, bet, I mean, the problem with dictators is they're usually pretty successful. So it's going to be difficult to, <laughs> to get someone totally rubbish. But we'll find one. Alexander Lukashenko, you're a class dictator of Belarus. There, there we go. go. <laughs> Perfect. We'll stick him there. The club okay. won't know who he is, so we'll get him in. Exactly. Just a ball <laughs> bloke with a tash. I was going Idi Amin or uh, who's that guy from um, Philippines? Um, uh, um, oh, uh, Demarcus. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and his missus shoes scattered all around the stadium. That, that was the thing when I was growing up. Emilda Marcos's shoe collection. Anyone remember well, that? That ties in, doesn't it? That yes. ties in. Put the shoes around the around the pitch, and just uh, forgo all the other cardboard cows and just put the Demarcos's in the uh, halfway down the east stand. That'd be good. Essentially, we're uh, suggesting just a selection of dictators in the stadium and no one else. It's it's taking a whole new road to this. Shoe-related dictators. Marcos's have it. We'll work on this next week. I'm going to have to. Uh, it's going to cost us a lot of money to pay for these dictators. Hey, if if a club will let us do it, I'll I'll front the money. It's fine. Like, uh, right. Al, 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 Al Sadi Gaddafi. You remember him? Colonel Gaddafi's son played for Perugia. Yeah, yes. Get him in. Get him in. Get him in. <laughs> this is a solid plan. Do we know what stand they're all going in? It must be. Is it for the, is it for the cameras? They're going in the east stand. Oh my god! I just realised what I said. The east stand. <laughs> oh, the east stand. I remember you. Is well. it the north stand? I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't know because they'll have to. I think. I think it's a good idea though. I think it's nice, you know, and it's, it, it adds something to it, doesn't it? You know, people can't be there, but they can be there in spirit. They can remember their their relatives that have passed away and stuff. I think it. I think it's nice. The club well, benefits from it. Yeah, and I think you touched that. I mean, exactly. you, just, you just mentioned uh, Lee Geary. I think I heard he's done something like fifteen hundred consecutive games. And I tell you what, if you don't, if you watch fifteen consecutive Cobblers games, then you deserve a little something back from the club. So I think putting a uh, putting a cardboard cow is the last is the least they could do. I think maybe when this is all back to the all, they should maybe bung him a season ticket or something like that. What, what, yeah. yeah, to watch someone good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give him a season ticket. Okay. Something, something different. One of the Bundesliga clubs, weren't they suggesting paying for a corona test for one fan and letting that one fan sit in the stadium and watch? You know, that's the kind of thing maybe you should be doing for something like him. Yeah. Willy Wonka golden ticket type thing. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, you get, you, the one fan gets in. Firstly, yeah. the, the alternative plan is you just you, you take you, you know you be kind to him and you like give him a, give him one a one game break and give him a bit of you know a silver <laughs> yeah. foil blanket and a fair bit of fun. <laughs> I'm just gonna fifteen hundred cobblers games. Honestly, it must it must uh, mess with your melon seriously. It, fair play to him, though, but just say if I want it. Yeah, top guy, top guy. Yeah. I mean, and Lee keeps smiling, whereas you know you've got your other character, Jima who's been going since the 60s and only missed a couple of games. And I'm guessing the ones he missed were Liverpool and all the wilder years because that guy never smiles. A legend, though. A legend. I don't want him to smile, though. Imagine Gima turning up all smiley and happy. You'd be like, what's going on? He needs to be smiling under his... Will he have a cardboard cut-out umbrella? (laughs) I remember listening to a a Five Live phone-in years and years ago. And it was a guy, a Bolton Wanderers fan rang in. And it must have been the Allardyce days. They obviously went on a bit of a run, started getting good. And he said he stopped going. You know, it it was his opportunity to go and moan and he enjoyed it when they were rubbish. And he said with a completely (laughs) straight face, we started getting good. 
<laughs> no fun anymore. Yeah. Seriously. I think we probably underestimate a lot of the uh, a lot of the demographic. <laughs> you go to have a moan. You go to <laughs> yes. do things you can't do. In your, well, you can do um, in your kitchen and lounge, but you know you probably won't have a partner for too much longer. We've gone full circle with that actually because I've spoken to a couple of people about this. That I think that all seated stadiums have been a big um, problem for that sort of behaviour because yes. I go to um, watch Delwich Hamlet like uh, Martin does and various non-league clubs and stuff and when you go and stand on a terrace the game isn't actually the be-all and end-all you know you're having a you laugh you can have a beer in non-league and stuff and it's exactly a bit right. of a, a pageant but when you go and sit in an all-city stadium everyone's like sitting in their seats staring at the action everyone's a little expert and we all tend to take it too seriously then but that's why I really want to bring back safe standing so you can bring Is back a bit not- more positive and sense of, uh, positivity and sense of humour to the game Tom, is there is there not something even more basic though? And I, I think you make a great point here. When you stood in the hotel end, if you didn't like the I don't know the the idiot or the moaner or whatever next to you, you potted off somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Now in the seats, and God, I remember the, the highly embarrassing moment was giving my views on. Ryan Cresswell not being in the team, and I think we're a little bit better without him, despite the fact he's a decent half centre half. And then some big ball bloke where the injured player sat turned around and looked at me. I was still stuck in that seat. (laughs) (laughs) I've not run into him since. Just something about the terrace, mentioned it earlier. And you know, that that, that, the 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 wariness you have to be in in being too wistful, I think, is a brilliant point. And it was more more to do with your own individual experience. If you're lucky enough to have just entered that world, you know, before other factors got involved. And it's just an accident of history, really, that you start going in those days before it all gets serious and, you know, there's dreadful problems and the geography of the football ground changes. Mm. But there is something about that that terrorist culture. I completely agree with Tom there. It just gives it a different dimension to the experience of going to the football, you know. That's a great way to wrap up the the football talk because uh you know that's i think most of us if not all of us are agreed that cobblers can do with say standing out something i'm still trying to work (laughs) slow process but you know hopefully we'll get there i think we should start to wrap up a little bit it's been really good talking but we can't leave before we've got mr bodfish on whose whose surname is perfect for a, a person on university challenge bodfish (laughs) <laughs> um, and not everyone might know this but Andy um, is not only a, an international commentator and for fans of TV shows like Eurogo is a bit of a legend that were on Eurosport but he started off presenting this channel called North Ants TV which was Andy can sort of um, talk through it a little bit but it was back in the in the 90s and it's just it's just a great story Andy tell us a bit about North Ants TV First of all, do any of you remember it? Did any of you watch it? Ian, obviously, geez, Ian, with his subscription to Death Row Dogs, we know. But any anyone else see it or remember it? I think I remember it coming coming back from work after a late shift when you had like your your cable TV in the mid nineties. Yeah, there often seemed to be replays of Russian and Diamonds games. That's one they'd show. Where Kettering beat them. And I used to love that one. Yeah, I mean, it was it was three hours of programming per night, six till nine. And then they would repeat it nine till midnight. And then obviously throughout the night, there was a text service 
you know, sort of like a Craigslist early days type thing, you know, buying and selling. But um, yeah, I, I, I did the football on that for a bit. Like you say, Russian and Diamonds kept in town. That was the only stuff we could show because of rights. Even in those days, we could just go up there and film the conference, which is ridiculous, actually, when you think about it. Didn't you turn up at Ian Atkins' house? Yeah, I mean, so Diamonds was every weekend, obviously, home and away. But we used to, so we used to do interviews with Ian, go down to Six Hills on the Monday, talk about the weekend's game, and then go back down there on the Friday and, um, you know, preview the weekend. And then come the, that September in 99, we got quite matey with him. Um, it helps when you've got an attractive female camera woman, I will say that, um, to, to, to get to know people. But yeah, we, so we ended up getting quite matey with him. And I came up with this idea of, do you want to talk about your time at the club and, you know, what went wrong? And yeah, we drove up to his house in um, Sutton Coalfield to sat in his lounge. <laughs> so, yeah, got, got it all done before his daughter came home from school. You know, footage that was never aired. It's, it's sat on a beta tape. Didn't he try and get you to have a go at David Seal in your interview or something like that? Yeah, he got this bee in his bonnet. So what would that have been? Probably mid-99, 98, 99 time. And he just got this bee in his bonnet about David Seal not, you know, not giving 110%, you know. Yeah, he sort of had a word word with us afterwards. And he's like, can't you say to David, you know, he's, he's the manager. Do you think the manager's happy with your commitment? Um, and he, you know, he was just, but he was a great guy. He, he was a great guy. I loved it, you know, because he loved the club, the passion. We ended up getting on really well with Ian. It was great. I mean, we had this thing going on with Chicago Rock Cafe, <laughs> and whenever there was a function, the, the the team would be down there, and Andy, my boss, and me, we'd just go with a mic, and you know, have a pint and interview Kevin Wilson and Ian standing in the bar at Chicago, just just because we could, you know. It's ridiculous. But they were that team, that era, the Cobblers players were in Chicago's all the time. They were the they time. were, weren't they? Thank you. And they were the in Kevin there all the time. Era as well. After after Atkins had gone, the Kevin I remember being in there and this was the thing back then. Like people Wilson, out, Wilson was worse, mate. The Wilson era was worse, I reckon. Yeah, they were. I mean, things I remember being in Chicago's on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Just a random Tuesday night, and it was absolutely yep. ram. It's like New Year's Eve. <laughs> yes. And, my mate, my mate Carl, he runs the hotel end for them, and he texts me. He, I didn't know he was there. He texts me. He goes, "Hey, look, there's old. Uh, there's, if you look up, mate, to your left, Wilson and his <laughs> and his crew are there." And like the whole yeah. first team was, was all sat there in front of me, like just holding court on a on a Tuesday mate, night. Oh, I'm so pleased. Yeah, you, we would have been there on the same nights. You ju- they just had the sizzling platter. You know, then you head up to like because there were two or three stories in there. It was like a sort of you know London Palladium of the town at one time. Ago, wasn't, right, it? Yeah. wasn't it? Not only did you do Andy sports sort of programs, you you were just way ahead of your field. Let's let's, let's talk about a couple of them. Um, you invented Pop Idol, didn't you? You uh, uh, yeah, I did actually, Tom. Yeah, I did. Yeah, talk us yeah, through it, mate. Well. Um, me and a small committee of others came up with this idea of, um, I don't know, it was, it was, a brainstorming session resulted in the North Ants TV karaoke challenge. Cut a long story short. Yeah, we toured the pubs and clubs of um, Northamptonshire. Anyone that had bung us a bit of cash, you know, we'd do an advert for them. And then we host a leg of the karaoke challenge in the bars, Cheers Bar Rushton, um, the place over at Billig Aquadrome. Uh, the bar in Bin and Aquadrome was one of them. Um, all you know, you know when like the Bridge Street was like the Golden Mile, 
Yeah. Uh, late 90s. All those bars, mate. We went in all those. It was big. You've got a theory that Simon Cowell was staying in the Northampton Hotel. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's just a theory I've got, but um, it did happen. Uh, yeah, Simon Cowell in the late 90s, I reckon, would have been probably at the Stackis, you know, relaxing, flicking around the cable channels. And then, sure enough, Northampton TV Karaoke Challenge. What's this? The rest is history. I think there's a multi-million pound lawsuit for you there. <laughs> uh, I think so. Billion, actually. Um, yeah, Billion. Just, just let me look into it. Um, yeah, but I mean, Gogglebox as well. Gogglebox. Not just me. We sat around and we... I remember one night, wouldn't it be funny if you just watched films, people watching TV? The best ideas are always the... The most simple. Everyone knows that, aren't they? So you used to sit in North Ants TV. It sounds like a creative, like, Willy Wonka's Wonderland, this place. It was like, anything goes. you like, right, guys, we're going to sit and watch people watching Predator 2 or something like that. I oh, mate, it was, it, it, was like, it was like Google HQ over there. It was just beanbags. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, a free, free cafe with smoothies and stuff. Andy, we've got to move on to the absolute you know, peak of North Hats TV televisual production, which is Death Row Dogs. Oh, <laughs> that a bad... title. Roll credits, Death Row Dogs. Like Ian can talk us through a little bit about this. Can, uh, can you not drop, can you drop a, bar- a barking sound effect in there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> post-production. Ian, t- talk us through this um, amazing canine-based uh, show, Death Row Dogs. I mean, that's my me- that's my memories of Northants TV. I remember you had good good coverage of the uh, Easter floods in St James as well. I mean, it's really you know that's probably quite good social history. As so, I, 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 th- I think you mean the day the rains came. I, I didn't have cable myself, but I remember going around a friend's house, and yeah, it'd either be yourself commentating on diamonds, or yeah, Death Row Dogs, which would be a lady from the local kennels in a field. Um, with a dog that, you know, if some somebody didn't come and, uh, and adopt it, was going to be put down. And he'd have a little fat <laughs> fire. Her name's Kim. She's three years old. Not good with kids. Fantastic. The late 90s were a simple time, weren't they? But They really you know, were. But great times for going out, great times for watching the cobblers. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 you, do you remember the with with, with the floods? Um, I'll just be really quick with this. Do you guys remember a video called again floating around in the late nineties called Executions? And it, it, it sort of no seriously, it made the papers. I remember I remember reading about it in the paper. It was a producer. I think it was from Great Houghton. Kind of bit of a chance, a bit of a spiv. He came out with this this video called Executions, and it was executions <laughs> from around the world captured on VHS. <laughs> Does no one remember this, genuinely? This was on North Ants TV. Is no, this it still... wasn't. And, and, and this is the first bit of the story. Do, 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 you, not, do you not remember that, that VHS? Andy, but, I'm, I'm slightly concerned that um, North Ants TV was a precursor to ISIS. <laughs> and these beheading videos started off at North Ants TV. <laughs> you know, all, so, all, so, all sorts of ideas back. came out of that creative hub at the, the end of the late 90s. The, the, the death row dogs, you know, I'm not necessarily saying people need to be put to death, but, you know, the, cob- the cobblers could do a sort of similar thing when they come to the retain list each year. They could maybe put, like, <laughs> different players, how are we keeping them out, how are we putting them out to pasture, you know? Yeah. Well, and play them out as sort of pen picks through the night on <laughs> North Ham TV. Yeah, exactly. 
Love it. Yes. <laughs> Here's Sam Hoskins. Kids. Yeah, Sam Hoskins, not good with kids. Bless him. Not good with kids. Pisses <laughs> <laughs> up the water. Pisses up lampposts. <laughs> so the next show we're going to do next week is going to start off with one of the archive appeals for a dog's life, uh, a pit bull from Bellinge called uh, Marmaduke. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll intro with that. Then we'll go to Pop, Pop Idol from Chicago's circa 19 when was it 1998 times um yeah 99 to the grand final grand finale at chicago rock cafe in front of uh i think i'm right in saying about 1200 people we're gonna wrap up now because we've been talking for a bit it's the first uh, podcast so it's gonna be a bit rough around the edges but it's really fun talking and we'll meet up if you're all about for the next one before the playoff games or playoff game next week chat some more Excellent. Look forward to it. Love to. Thanks, guys, for um, for uh, joining in and stuff. And uh, I'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Thanks, Cheers, Tom. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Bye. 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 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.